this is their first experience at university. They had so much to say. I spent like 45 minutes in each of their rooms just hearing their stories and they were, they were really upset. So it was kind of sad to see. I'm Jeff Umbro. And I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Today, Gabe Samandi breaks down the potential of the class of 2023, which is set to become the most diverse and highest achieving class in Fordham history. Then, Sophie Partridge Hicks talks to us about the de-tripling of McMahon apartments and the financial consequences the situation has had on students. Lastly, Roxanne Cubero discusses the history of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Company and what dance means to her. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. We're joined by assistant news editor Gabe Zamandi, who wrote the article, Class of 23 Set to Become Most Diverse and Highest Achieving. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Gabe, can you tell us exactly what the article was about? Basically, in short, the article is discussing the accepted EA and ED at early action, early decision admissions for Fordham. Students got a decision in December. Uh, I think it was December 19th was the day. And since then, we were able to obtain the information about what Fordham did to those students, how many it accepted, from where, what their grades looked like, ethnicity, all kinds of good information. Now, you yourself are a freshman. Correct. The class of 22 was similarly one of the highest achieving class years that Fordham had seen. This seems to show an upward trend. Why do you think that is? Um, Simple answer, I think Fordham is trying to become more competitive. Um, I think the way that the school was marketed to my class when we were seniors uh, is that it's this world-class university in New York City. You really want to attend here. And I think that the recent direction of the university is to push things further in that direction. And so while there are marginal increases in both diversity and academic achievement among these, these accepted demographics, I think that the university is really trying to push for those. In what ways do you think the university is trying to make itself more competitive? Um, Well, namely in the types of students that it is admitting. um, We saw within the the data that uh, there were increases in acceptances uh, for students of various ethnic backgrounds and then also more acceptances for students of, you know, higher achieving backgrounds in terms of SAT scores, ACT scores, and GPA. Um, I think that that is also going to be coupled with more competitive offerings for financial aid. Fordham is kind of known for having good financial aid for a lot of its students, especially merit-based. And I think that students will only continue to see those sort of options appear to them. So Fordham will become a competitive uh, institution when they're selecting their choice of school. What do these uh, increases in diversity and achievement mean for the student body? Like, What will the student body look like in a couple years, do you think? It's hard to say because, again, these are all just EA, ED acceptances, uh, so we don't even know who's enrolled or who's committing. And in addition, we don't have that information on financial aid. An assumption that might be able to be made is that uh, Fordham will only continue to grow more diverse as a campus. Something that we saw in the data was that Fordham was accepting more students of two or more races and Asian students, either from overseas or here in the United States, in much higher concentrations. So that might be two groups of students that we see sort of growing on campus. And we also will likely see more diversity of every kind, you know, every racial group, and then also uh, geographic diversity, because in the data, we also were seeing a lot of admissions from other states as well. So you mentioned before we started recording that you had some views on 
this whole situation. What are those views exactly? I do, yeah. And of course, these are just my personal opinions from having studied the data and, and written about it. But personally, I think that uh, while Fordham is making great steps to increase diversity on its campus, I think that there is still one glaring issue, uh, so to speak, within our diversity, specifically regarding African-American students uh, and, and black students, uh, whichever term you prefer to use, especially because if we look at the numbers, acceptances for black students saw decreases in every freshman program besides FCLC. So that was a decrease at Gabelli at both Rose Hill and Lincoln Center and Fordham College Rose Hill. They all saw decreases in the number of EAED accepted black students. The only one that saw an increase was Fordham College Lincoln Center, which granted was a 15% increase, significantly more, uh, yet still those are numbers that we should be concerned about. Uh, if we look at Fordham's numbers uh, as they stand, and we mentioned this in our staff editorial, 4.4% of Fordham undergraduates are black, which means that something close to 400 students across both of our campuses. I think that for a school in New York City and also a school with a main campus in the Bronx, that's abysmal. We should be doing more to represent the African-American community and all that they've done for New York City, for Fordham, uh, because if you ch take a look at our staff editorial, we also dissect the history of, of student activism, specifically by black students on Fordham's campus. And I think that we need to be doing more to represent the contributions of that community on campus, specifically by the way that we allow students to be a part of this community and um, encourage them to, to study here and, and, and be a part of the Fordham family. Do you feel there are any solutions to the long-term issue of a lack of African-American representation on both of our campuses? It's a complicated issue to be sure. And again, something just to disclaim, I'm not black. <laughs> I'm Hispanic, white, and, and uh, Middle Eastern are, are my ethnicities, right? And so I don't have a full stake in this debate in terms of, uh, you know, a full understanding of the history and the complexity of, of the the you know, racial issues that, that play into this, right? But I do think that it's worth mentioning that Fordham has a scholarship for the uh, National Hispanic Merit Program. So Hispanic students of low income who score very highly on the um, SAT and the PSAT through national merit are basically enabled to come to Fordham because they get a full tuition scholarship, right? And so uh, this isn't just me sort of speculating. I know a couple of people personally who've earned this scholarship, and they wouldn't have even considered Fordham with its $72,000 price tag unless they that, that scholarship had been available for them, because all they're paying is, is room and board. The uh, National Merit Corporation, they had a similar program for African-American students up until 2016, and the reasons that that was terminated were a little bit fishy. I was looking into it. There was a lack of funding, and there were a couple of other issues with the way that the program was being run. There wasn't a whole lot of information published on the subject, and people who were very close to the program were actually shocked to hear that it was being shut down. People who had ran various nonprofits that worked with the program and you know other organizations. So that's definitely something that I think shouldn't have happened, but it did. And throughout its tenure, Fordham never had a similar scholarship for black students. Uh, they could have offered the same scholarship that they offered to Hispanic students, but they didn't. That's something that we, we should definitely try to incorporate with our black student body as well. If there was something you could say to the incoming freshman class next year, what would that be? If there was one thing, I think it would be to show our class up in terms of like coming to activities, being present on campus, having a passion and having an energy. I think something that our, our class in the fall gained a reputation for was how tenacious we were uh, in everything that we did on campus. And if 
Fordham students uh, as a whole grow more energetic, grow more passionate and more tenacious and more driven for the things that they want, I think that the uh, school will have to respond to that in ways that will only make it a better place for all of us to attend. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on here, Gabe, today. Thanks for having me. For this segment, we're joined by Sophie Partridge-Hicks, assistant news editor on The Observer. She has been reporting recently on the de-tripling of McMahon Hall. Thanks for being here, Sophie. Thank you for having me. I guess just briefly, could you explain what the tripling situation was at the beginning of the year and how that's changed now? Yeah, so at the start of the academic year, McMahon decided to put incoming freshmen into triples and they were given a reduced rate. But at the start of the second semester, around 300 students moved out of McMahon Hall and this meant that there was a lot of extra space. So ResLife started de-tripling people. And when I went and talked to the freshmen, they were really upset and confused and stressed with the process. Housing costs went back up to the original price. There wasn't really a lot of information. So that's where the story kind of came from, just with these freshmen being really disappointed with the communication from ResLife. Can you talk about your interactions with the people in charge of housing? Yeah, so I spoke to ResLife, specifically to Vicki Macy, who's the associate director, and she was really helpful explaining how many students had moved out, why students move out, and how ResLife goes about kind of distributing students. So when there's a lack of students and more space in McMahon, they basically want to distribute them fairly with like doubles instead of doing the triples. And so she spoke about the price increase and how this happens pretty much every spring semester. But I didn't really get much information on how they relayed this to people who were being de-tripled or what the communication was like for a student who was losing a roommate or like how what it would look like for their prices to go up. So for part of my research, I went down to the fifth floor to talk to some freshmen to see what they had what they said and I was really surprised by how frustrated and how much they had to say about this experience. I went into a suite of freshman boys and they all were so upset with what had happened. They had been living with nine people first semester and now they were down to I think six. And one boy, Aiden Rice, was talking about how he had no information about the price increase and that it was just when his father checked the student bill kind of at the end of the semester to prepare for the second semester that they noticed this incredible jump jump of two thousand dollars that had never been explained to them i kind of i asked them if there was anyone else that they recommended i spoke to and they recommended that i go to um a freshman suite on that floor as well so i went into these girls apartments and they had a really awful experience one girl elena justin bransky talked about how they also were never warned about the price increase they were living with six girls the first semester which had gone down to four And when the two girls were complaining about the fact that this price increase had gone up so dramatically and they were never warned, they had a really awful experience where they were calling ResLife saying, like, you need to tell us why this happened and kind of looking for for answers to these questions that no one had warned them about. And ResLife tried to re-triple them to make up for the price increase as they... That, that was the easiest solution to avoid these upset parents complaining about the price increase. So they had a really awful experience. And then finally, I also talked to another freshman who had a slightly different situation. She didn't experience a price increase, but when their roommates moved out, um, one of the rooms was just locked in their apartment. 
So a lot of disparity between people's experiences, but kind of the main theme just being frustration and this lack of communication, which a lot of them felt was really unfair. Can you speak to the level of frustration that these students were experiencing? Yeah, I was actually surprised by how upset people were. Like, this is their first experience at university. I think a lot of them already feel slightly removed from the freshman experience not being in McKeon and they just said that they felt very really isolated and then to go through so many troubles not a great way to introduce them into the community and they would they just I, I mean they had so much to say I spent like 45 minutes in each of their rooms just hearing their stories and they were they were really upset so it was kind of sad to see. How do you feel is the best way to mend the rift that's appeared between the students, their parents, and the people in charge of housing operations? Because it sounds like the breakdown in communications has left people in a sort of fraught emotional and financial state. Definitely. I think that these students really do feel like they've been taken advantage of, that the lack of information given to them has left them, as you said, like in a financial and kind of like emotional unfair situation. I think that the communication and how ResLife relays information is a big theme, but not only just with this situation. There seems to just constantly be a lot of frustrations with ResLife and people are always kind of left in the dark or unknown. And so I think that communication with the with the process of detripling, but just in general, the people who in char- are in charge of where you live, especially when students are paying so much money to live on campus, and not really knowing what it entails, not knowing what it looks like in the future, not knowing the prices is something that personally I don't think it's exactly fair and it seems like these I mean these students definitely felt the same way so I think communication with the specifics and like long term in advance what things will look like I mean Vicky Macy said that this is very typical that in the second semester they know that a lot of students move out and that it's very normal to have partially filled apartments so it seems like there should have been a stronger system in place to deal with this because they knew that people would be moving out is ResLife do make, taking any steps to make sure that a similar situation does not happen next year? ResLife, when, when I asked about student distribution, they did say that they have no plans to move students around to try and even the distribution. It didn't seem like they were investing a lot of time into this process or had plans for how they would deal with it next year if they continue to triple dorms for freshmen. Did anyone offer any solutions at all to the issue? The freshmen I spoke to were mainly just frustrated. They didn't really have solutions, and I had very limited information given to me from ResLife in regard from Vicky Macy in regards to what the process of detripling will look like in the future. Do you anticipate a similar situation arising next year if the incoming class is at least equal, if not greater in size, to this one? I definitely do think that this is going to be something that is reoccurring. We've looked at the statistics for incoming freshmen. It's assumed that they will be a larger class. I think that this freshman class was the largest accepted class that Fordham had. I would expect them to continue to grow. So I definitely think this will continue to be a problem, especially since they have the resources like the bunk beds, like the extra desks and stuff to put in. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the rooms in McKeon that host home three people get turned into four-person rooms and we just start seeing, with such a lack of space on campus, like really cramming students in because in compared to other universities, these are really nice rooms, so I could definitely see them justifying putting more people in rooms. Do you feel that there's hope for better housing situations in the future? I... I'm not too hopeful for these freshmen. I think that for some of them, this dramatic $2,000 increase is going to have really serious repercussions for them and their families, especially with no warning. One student I talked to talked about how it changed the entire situation with loans and and their family um, financial situation. And from the lack of communication that we've already seen ResLife display, 
I'm not very confident in how they will deal with it in the future, especially if they're going to continue to accept more students. Thank you for coming out here to talk to us, Sophie. Yeah, of course. For this segment, we're joined by Roxanne Cubero, who wrote To Mr. Ailey and the Ascent with Love in the Arts and Culture section of the most recent Observer issue. Thanks for being here, Roxanne. Thanks for having me. So could you just briefly run us through the milestone that the Alvin Ailey Company celebrated last year? So last year, Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater celebrated its 60th anniversary, which as a company in New York, and it's definitely one of the smaller companies in New York City, it's a huge milestone, especially celebrating Black History Month. The company is primarily African-American. Alvin Ailey created this company specifically to tell the story of the African-American experience, especially in a time when they were pretty much denied basic human rights. So, and to have that company and that legacy carry on into today, that's a pretty huge milestone. For Alvin Ailey, the big phrase is dance is for everybody. Can you talk about that and how that connects with the diverse background that Ailey has? Alvin Ailey was born in a time where dance was primarily done by white people. Ballet was done by the Russians, by the French. Uh, Even modern dance, Martha Graham, Isadora Duncan, Lester Horton, they're all white. And so Alvin Ailey saw that his story, the African-American experience, wasn't being told. Everyone's story is a story to be told that everyone needs to hear. And so that is why he created this company. And that is why dance is for everybody. For me personally, as a Filipino dancer, I I literally don't have any Filipino dancers that I look up to. My favorite dancers are white, pretty much, and from the Ailey Company, African-American. If there are any Asian dancers that I love, a lot of them are Japanese. A lot of them are Korean. A lot of them are Chinese. But I don't have any role models that are Filipino that are dark. For example, Swan Lake the most classic overdone ballet ever. Misty Copeland has performed as Odile Odette, but I've never seen a Filipino woman be that white, beautiful, or black, sexy, and evil swan. (laughs) So my story isn't being told, and it's something that's always been in the back of my head, and that's why I think I so desperately and so passionately want to be on that stage and share my story too. So your article is titled To Mr. Ailey and the Ascent with Love. Can you tell us what you love the most about being involved in this? I think coming into the Ailey Fordham BFA program, I think I was in a little bit of a rut in my life. I knew I had this pathway for the next four years. And I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, or I didn't know if I would still want to do it. I remember leaving the gala performance 
at City Center just intensely excited for what I'm about to experience. And I think it takes something extremely special to inspire that in someone. And I think that's what I love most about Ailey is that his vision that dances for everyone and that dance is something so powerful and unfortunately so unrecognized. That inspiration that Mr. Ailey and the Ailey Company set inside me, that's what I love the most. This has been Retrospect. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. And I'm Jeff Umbrell. Until next time.